Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, to catch a fire setter. This is the remarkable story of the pursuit of a serial arsonist in Lake County. Chronicle reporter Lizzie Johnson spent more than a year talking to investigators, digging through records, and interviewing California state prisoner Damon Pashilk. He was charged with more than a dozen counts of arson after a string of blazes in 2016. The question, as you'll see, is whether authorities could take down Pashilk before one of his fires turned into disaster. You can read Lizzie's piece called The Evidence Burns Away at sfchronicle.com slash firebug. There are videos, photos, maps, and illustrations. Here on Fifth and Mission, what follows is the story of Damon Pashilk, the Lake County firebug, and Mike Thompson, the arson investigator who spent years chasing him. Here's Lizzie Johnson. The Clayton Fire ignited on August 13, 2016, near Lower Lake, a town in rural Lake County, about a three-hour drive northeast of San Francisco. The wildfire burned 300 buildings and scorched about 4,000 acres. It was one of the biggest wildfires in Lake County's history. It is my pleasure to announce the arrest of Damon Anthony Paschill. With the fire still out of control, the Lake County Sheriff announced that this fire hadn't started naturally. It was the work of an arsonist. The press conference was at Twin Pine Casino, and there was an audience of community members. What these people didn't know yet was that the devastation could be traced back to a plastic otter pop wrapper, which had been lit on fire and dropped out the window of a car. They were livid. They chanted, string him up, and you're going to hell. Some of them flipped off the photo of the suspect, Damon Bischilk. I'm not a bad person. I'm not a monster. I'm this is Damon Pashilk. Thank God that no one was injured. He is 44 years old, and he's been behind bars since 2016. Whenever you hear his voice in this story, it's from one of the dozens of phone interviews I did with him over the course of more than a year. In early 2019, he pleaded no contest to starting four fires in Lake County, and he was sentenced to 15 years in state prison. He was already no stranger to doing time. He's been in and out of jail and prison since his early 20s, mostly on drug and firearm charges and for violating parole or driving on a suspended license. I wonder with everybody, like, what, what drives somebody to do this? And this is Mike Thompson. He's 40. He's been investigating fires for more than a decade. And he was a key figure on the Cal Fire team that caught and arrested Damon Pishilk. This is the story of two men whose lives were defined by fire. They both grew up in rural parts of California, and they're only four years apart in age. They both found their vocation in the flames, but they took very different routes, ended up on opposite sides of the fire line. Back in 2015, when suspicious fires first started popping up in Lake County, Mike Thompson was sent there from his post in Humboldt. His job was to figure out why the fires were starting. He suspected arson. But here's the thing. Arson is really hard to prove, and arsonists, 
or fire setters, as investigators tend to call them, are almost impossible to catch. To build a solid case, you usually have to let the firebug start more fires. Confirm that your hunches are right. Collect enough evidence to convict. But that evidence? It burns up. And there are rarely any witnesses. That's why there's only an arrest in about one out of every five arson fires. And it's why there's a conviction in about one out of every hundred. When a serial arsonist is at work, investigators have to build their case before one of the fires blows up into the big one. It's a race against time. And in Lake County in 2015, the race was on. Mike Thompson didn't dream of becoming a firefighter. He grew up in Weaverville in Northern California and followed his father into the local logging industry. But his dad urged him to get a better job. So he ended up as a firefighter with Cal Fire. He saw a lot of trauma doing that. And he says that's one of the reasons he moved into investigations, to remove himself a step from that pain and help process it. 2013, I was working as a fire captain specialist in the Humboldt Bill Nord unit. And Sonoma Lake Napa was getting hit with quite a few arson fires. So I was tapped to go down there and help with the investigation. He'd gotten to travel all over and California for that job. Now, called down to Lake County to work on the fires in 2015, he kept coming back to an incident from two years earlier. Just kind of the, the location of the road and what it looked like. There was a little bench on the, on the edge of the road, and just after going through a dip, I just recall that I went to that fire in 2013, and I looked at it. Thompson's methodical when he's investigating a fire. I took a ton of photographs of that from every angle which I could, tried to get in as close as I could. Every fire in California is investigated, no matter how big or how small. So it's important, painstaking work. So I did what they call a basal lift. So I essentially went under the item. One technique is to create a graph on the ground with nails and string to find and collect evidence. That is, when it can be collected. Which I was unsuccessful. It just completely fell apart. Evidence. It could be anything from a downed power line to a smoldering cigarette butt to a trailer scraping against the asphalt, throwing sparks into the grass. Thompson's investigated some big fires, including the Tubbs Fire of 2017, which blasted through Santa Rosa. At the first fire he reported to in Lake County in 2015, the evidence had burned up. But he suspected a serial arsonist. He knows them well. He's been studying them for more than a decade. They like to to find secluded areas where they've got good visibility coming and going. And this spot in particular was was that. And I think for a serial arsonist that's been working in an area for a long time, they're going to have their, their comfort areas and probably hit them every year or annually as they can. Thompson and his team had to be cautious. Their arsonist could be anyone, an elected official, a police officer, even a firefighter. Yeah, a firefighter. You'd be surprised how common that is. At the beginning of any investigation, it's really important that nobody knows who's who in the zoo because we have... This is Brandon Smith, a CAL FIRE investigator on Thompson's team. And the fire setter can run the gamut. We've had public safety officials set fires. We've had all facets of people set fires. And you don't know until eventually you get the person 
um, under surveillance. About 95% of arsonists say they have an interest in the fire department. Sometimes one of the heroic citizens who pitched in to battle the flames turns out to be the fire setter. One of the most famous arsonists in California history was John Leonard Orr, who's serving a life sentence for a series of fires he set in Southern California in the 80s. He was an arson investigator for the Glendale Fire Department. Maybe it's the elemental nature of fire, but it has the power to mesmerize people, and there's no telling who might fall under its spell, and no telling whether that fascination will lead them towards setting fires or fighting them, or both. So, not knowing how close the suspect might be, the investigators wanted to keep everything under wraps. They called their case Operation Coloco, a meaningless name chosen from a random list generated at the beginning of every year, just for this purpose. Even the local police department and sheriff's office didn't have an idea of what was going on. I kept finding what I would refer to as a depression within the burned grass. After each new fire, Mike Thompson scours the scene for proof of how it started. And it, it almost looked like a small cup, if you will. Um, it wasn't that deep. At best, maybe an inch most times less. And what I perceived that to be was where something sat there and burned longer and had just a little bit more weight. So because of that depression, something definitely sat there and and burned for a longer period of time. Here's the problem. Investigative teams don't work in a vacuum. Sometimes civilians see the flames and step in to put the fire out. It's a good instinct. Everyone in Lake knows the damage a fire can cause. But civilians killing a fire don't take pains to preserve fragile evidence. That lack of evidence, though, that said something to Thompson. For the longest time, I didn't find anything in those depressions. And so I I started to theorize that it was something lightweight material, like a a paper or a napkin or, or something of that sort that was you know, disintegrating with the slightest breeze or or if the fire suppression. There were other clues, too. Cal Fire had set up surveillance cameras around Lake County, hoping to connect a car or a truck to the beginnings of fires. And by late 2015, they kept seeing the same Subaru zooming past the surveillance camera just before or just after a fire had ignited. They zeroed in on their suspect. Turns out, he had a name. Damon Pishilk. When we come back, what makes a man start fires? And the investigation closes in on the firebug. For more on this story, go to sfchronicle.com slash firebug. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Damon Pichilk has always been fascinated by fire. In 2007, in state prison on drug and gun charges, he'd even earned the chance to work on an inmate firefighting crew. These teams of prisoners live at fire camps all across California. And every summer, 
They help the state fight wildfires, making up to 40% of the state's force. Yes, I was excited to go. I was looking forward to it. I heard all kinds of stories about how fire camp, uh, they feed you real good and there's no fences and it's the best way to do time. So I was excited about having, getting to go to fire camp. Pishok was assigned to a fire camp in Lewiston, a few hours north of San Francisco, just outside the city of Reading. During our conversations over the last year, he brought up this experience a lot. A spokesperson at the camp in Lewiston says he doesn't remember Pishilk and couldn't say whether he was a good worker. But Pishilk says he took to firefighting. So I passed my, uh, my uh, BFP and then they sent you out to, um, they sent you out to uh, like a camp outside of the prison. It's called uh, Arnold Unit. Um, they train you how to use your tool. Um, uh, they, they're called the tents. Uh, I forget exactly what they were, but I remember the last one was fight fire aggressively, providing safety for yourself. His enthusiasm comes in part because it took him so long to even get to fire camp. Just before he was to go, he had been held up by a lockdown that followed a race riot. Pashok was familiar with this kind of thing. He'd fallen in with the white supremacist gang earlier in his sentence. Pashok has white power tattoos. At home in Lake County, he'd carved lightning bolts onto his trailer, a white nationalist symbol. Now, he says, he's left that all behind. He said he's seen the error of his ways and found God. When he finally got to the fire camp in Lewiston, he says he thrived. He longed for the experience of fighting a big career fire, the kind that gets featured in the news, with thousands of firefighters battling big flames as they sweep across dry mountainsides. But that summer, the big one never came. So um, the first few months, I was on uh, uh, the Pulaski. A Pulaski is a handheld tool, kind of like an axe. I moved my way up to uh, the first puller. A puller is works behind the chainsaw. The chainsaw cuts, the puller drags the brush out of the way, off the fire line. So, um, I did manage to hit, uh, they call them crack, crack fires. A crack fire is a tiny fire. Nothing big. Anything from an acre to a couple hundred acres. You don't usually see these ones on the news. On crack fires, you usually do, uh, you know, up 12-hour shift, and then you'll, you'll go back to the camp, depending on where it is, you go back to the camp, and then, and then come back to the fire the next day. Fire camp offered Pishilk something that he'd longed for. Purpose. I could hear it when we talked about firefighting. He talked with more energy, more confidence. He liked to explain to me how things worked. And that was the biggest fire that I um, was on. Because I was only in camp for a matter of five months, I, didn't, I wasn't able to hit what they call campaign fires. Campaign fires are like the bigger fires. It's worth saying. Pashilk fits pretty perfectly into the psychological profile of a serial arsonist. In 1986, the FBI created a special group to study their personalities. Interviewing more than 80 convicts in jails and prisons, these experts found that fire setters were predominantly young white men who lacked stability and had cold or distant relationships with their families. Around 70% had a prior felony arrest. So that's actually close to the profile for a lot of different criminals. But here's what's different about arsonists. That 95% figure. That's how many of them had some interest in the fire service. Pashilk, with his difficult childhood, drug addiction, and aimlessness, could be an archetype. Fire seemed to give him an outlet for a life that hadn't amounted to much. 
Compare that to Mike Thompson, who found relief from trauma and pain in his job investigating fires. See? Two sides of the same coin. By the fall of 2007, state records show that Pishilk was out of prison, sent home. It wasn't long before he found himself back in Lake County. For the next few years, from 2007 to about 2015, Pishilk drifted, worked small handyman jobs, never holding a regular gig, did drugs, cycled in and out of jail. He had three kids. One of them was a son he rarely saw, and the other two, a boy and a girl, were put up for adoption while he was in prison. A couple from Lakeport took both of them. Pishok later found out their new father was a firefighter. Pishok had brought a new skill set home to Lake County. Fire. He says he once used it to help a friend burn out some squatters who were illegally growing marijuana on her land. The friend's girl was also illegal, so she couldn't just call the cops. Pishok helped. He knew fire and how it worked. Around that time, 2015, Investigators say they caught on to the fact that Pishilk had started lighting fires. Small blazes, mostly, along the edge of a highway that runs through Lake. The investigators had set up surveillance cameras along public roadways in the county, hoping to confirm their suspicions of arson. In 2015, Pishilk's green Subaru was captured near the scene of at least four of them. So a judge signed a warrant for a GPS tracking unit to be attached to the Subaru's underbelly. From a safe distance... Investigators began following Pishilk, hoping to capture enough evidence. At one point, he was picked up for driving on a suspended license and taken to county jail. But even if the local cops had known there was an arson investigation going on, there wasn't enough evidence yet to charge him. The fire season ended, and the case closed for the year. In 2016, it was up and running again. The investigators continued watching Pishilk, narrowing in. At one fire's origin, Thompson found what he'd been looking for. And that's the one where I, I finally found the, the twisted napkin. It's burned. It's just sitting there kind of fluttering like it, it's going to disintegrate. And I remember the helicopter's flying over and it's creating wind. Thompson covered the napkin's ashen skeleton with his fire helmet so the helicopter's downwash wouldn't blow it away. He'd learn later that surveillance footage would show Pashilk driving near the scene of the crime, just before and just after the fire had started. His Subaru had been impounded, and he had a new car, a Chrysler Sebring. The evidence was finally coming together. And so to have that hypothesis that he's using a lightweight material that's, you know, paper, uh, napkin, whatever it is, and it's just it's disappearing on all those fires, and then to finally find it was just, for me, it was a, a great moment. They might have made the arrest then, but Thompson's incident commander decided to hold off. He thought they could gather more evidence, make the case stronger. It had to hold up in court, strong enough to persuade a jury. Again, only 1% of arson cases result in conviction. They were up against a lot. And then, late in the afternoon of August 13th, 2016, And then he'd lit the Clayton fire. And by late afternoon, firefighters' worst fears are realized as the Clayton fire consumes the downtown area, forcing hundreds of people to flee for their lives. Investigators had gotten a warrant to put another GPS tracker on Pishilk's new car, the Sebring. An investigator watched from a tracker app on his phone as Pishilk turned onto Clayton Creek Road. Within a few minutes, he turned around and drove back the way he had come. 
The investigator continued around the bend to check it out. I remember standing there and just watching this thing as it kind of took off across this grass field. And I'm looking at the IC and I'm I'm like, hey, are you guys going to catch this? And he, he's thinking they're going to get it. And I, for me, it was just stressful. I just, like, I wanted to, to make the arrest and be done with this case at, at that point. And I, I ended up staying up all night. Within minutes of the fire starting, Thompson found the ignition source, an otter pop wrapper. Hours later, early in the morning, Thompson, thinking the fire was under control, went back to the barracks to sleep. Later that day, he had an errand to run. And as I'm driving up the road, I don't recall the name of the highway there, but in my rearview mirror, I could see that thing just blew up. The Clayton fire would inflict more than $22 million of damage. As it raged, investigators found Damon Pishulk on a bluff high above the town. He was in the parking lot of a jack-in-the-box, sitting on the hood of his Chrysler Sebring, watching the land burn. One of the undercover officers sat next to him on the side of the road and had a conversation with him at, while one of the fires were burning. And he seemed to just be super knowledgeable of that. And I, I can't help but think that his knowledge of fire comes from one, from lighting so many fires throughout the years. And two, he, he served as a inmate firefighter. A few days later, sheriff's deputies picked up Pashilk on a traffic stop. A search of the car in Pashilk's trailer turned up an otter pop wrapper, burned and unburned matchbooks, and a police scanner. They brought him into the station for questioning. An officer left him alone in an interrogation room for the briefest of moments, and Pashilk took the opportunity to swallow a small stash of methamphetamine that he had shoved in his sock. Because of this, he had to go to the hospital for medical clearance. Thompson was the one to drive him. As they arrived at the hospital, the evening news had just flicked on. The newscaster described the damage done by the Clayton fire. People without homes. Children starting the new school year without supplies. Pashilk started to cry, slumping in a hard plastic chair, his hands cuffed behind his back. Thompson thought he might confess. I just remember sitting there watching Pashilk because we can hear it from the observation room. It's in, on a TV next door. And he just, like his whole demeanor changed. He, he went kind of hard to explain. He just started to sink in his chair, essentially. He never made eye contact with me. He'd keep his, his chin tucked to his shoulder. Um, most everything he said, he it was almost incomprehensible. It was just mumbling. I couldn't, I was having a really hard time hearing him. Pashilk asked Thompson if he's religious. The question surprised Thompson but it led to a deeper conversation. At some point, it got really frustrating because he was starting to, you know, he'd start to open up a little bit more. And, I mean, he's getting emotional. He's crying. You can tell that the news in the background is having, having an effect on him. And then it seems like just when we start to get somewhere where he was going to either confess or, or confide in me that he, you know, Something related to the fires, the nurses or the doctors would walk in, so we'd have to stop asking them questions, and um, he would just stop talking, and then they'd leave, and then I had to, it was almost like starting over every single time they'd leave. That cycle played out several times before Pashilk was cleared to leave the hospital. Thompson says when they got back into the car, Pashilk was sobbing uncontrollably. 
So Thompson asked if he'd like to keep talking at the station. And he did. But during the 15-minute drive, Pichelt composed himself. And we were just, I mean, we were so close to pulling into that sheriff's station where we're going to do the interview again. And he just said, with like the, the clearest voice, Thompson, just take me to jail. Thompson never got an answer to his question. Why had these fires happened? In 2019, Pichelk pleaded no contest to four fires, including the Clayton, and was sentenced to 15 years and four months. So there was no trial, no testimony by Pichelk or psychologists who examined him, no cross-examination, no getting closer to any answer about why Damon Pichelk had set those fires. In early 2019, I started talking to him for this story. By phone from prison, he admitted, for the first time, that the Clayton fire had been his fault. Now, I say that the, the reason why, you know, I, I pled, I pled out, was in, and, and I'm not, I'm not uh, completely innocent in all this. Um, I do, I, did I light all the fires that I was charged with? This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Absolutely not. Um, um, was I guilty of any of them that they were charging me of? Yes, they were. But to this day, Pishilk hasn't been clear about why he started those fires. He's evasive. He spins. One thing I want to say is that, you know, uh, regardless of how the media might have made me made me sound or made me seem, is that you know, I uh, I'm not a bad person. I'm not a monster. I never, I never. Um, I, I'm thank, I thank God that no one was injured. Um, because, uh, you know, I know the, the potential for for, uh, for bad things to happen from, from the fire and people getting killed. And um, um, on that note, they're going to lock me down here in a second. Damon Pishok will be eligible for parole in 2028. For Fifth Emission, I'm Lizzie Johnson. You can read Lizzie's story, The Evidence Burns Away, at sfchronicle.com slash firebug. This episode was produced by King Kaufman. News audio was courtesy of KCRA-TV in Sacramento. Thank you for listening.